Jarena, so um, I'm so excited to be here in our 26th season in a new arena that certainly the Seattle Storm with all their history and success deserves, so it's great to be here. Fantastic. Uh, we'll go ahead and just open up for questions. Uh, Hey. Oh, no, go ahead, Percy. Go ahead. Well, um, so you can see that the, uh, the like, topic of the week is expanding rosters. You know, we just had a chance to talk with uh, Stewie just of, about that. She's uh, talked about, you know, maybe um, doing something with the cat, maybe creating some type of a uh, 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 practice squad or something to that nature. Is it a sense of urgency for the legal? Or are you waiting to maybe do it when the next CBO Well, I mean, certainly, um, if you think about the 300 Division I NCAA women's basketball um, programs, and obviously we have 12 teams. So um, as you all know, I've been talking about how um, we're transforming the economics of the league. We want to bring new owners into the league longer term. We need to find the right time to do that. We're doing a lot of data analysis on cities across a whole bunch of uh, dimensions, cities that would be good for women's basketball, cities that are already good for women's basketball, uh, and so we'll continue to do that analysis. Um, hopefully this summer at some point I'll uh, be able to say more, but we're just want to be thoughtful about it. We don't want to jeopardize the momentum we have, but we understand the issue about um, not just roster sizes, but also just when you're, only, uh, when you're a country the size of and scale of ours and you're only in 12 cities, here in Seattle, no fans till the back half of the season and not even limited fans at that point into, um, you know, certainly when we got the Phoenix versus Chicago, really packing the house. So that, so I'm just so excited for tonight to see that. Uh, but we need a little more time to transform. And then, um, so you've accomplished a, a ton already since taking over as commissioner, but it, it seems to me that there's always just like more, 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 right? Charter flights. <laughs> better TV contracts, expansion teams, more roster spots. Does that kind of get frustrating seeing how much progress you've made, but it just seems like there's still so many high demands? And then, like, how do you prioritize all those demands? A fabulously framed question, by the way, because <laughs> I never get frustrated. I mean, I was hired to come in and turn every stone over and lead the transformation of this league. So I am thrilled that I'm actually seeing the transformation like in front of my eyes. There's no better feeling of that. And by the way, I didn't know this before I came into sports, but the off-season, I always said to people who were in sports, well, you're in the off-season, you must not be doing much. <laughs> not realizing now that that's when all the hard work co comes in. And tonight is when, like, I get this warmth over me and the basketball starts to speak for itself. And um, so no frustration at all. We had a lot to fix. We have a lot to fix. We have a lot of things in front of us that are hugely, where I'm hugely optimistic. We now have some capital to invest. To do some of the things I wanted to do, you're going to see a different in a, a fan experience. Every consumer touch point, whether it's merch, whether it's user interface, um, user experience on our .com, our app, our league pass, um, 
Uh, we'll have 160 games on national platforms this year. That's the highest in the history of the league. Uh, I want to globalize the game more. I want to, um, you know, bring in ESPN Fantasy this year is going to be huge for us. I just, you know, I have five brothers and they're like, you know, they're now following WNBA players for the first time because they're playing an ESPN Fantasy game. So, um, so I think it's really exciting for us, all of the opportunity we have, but frustrated, definitely not. Um, you know, crisis management. I was hoping for a little less crisis since I joined the league. This is my third full season we're tipping off tonight. So uh, hope for a little less of that, that side of the job, but um, really excited for the momentum that's here uh, and um, the, uh, the growth that I'm seeing already and the fandom um, that I'm feeling this year. I think, um, you know, I think we're, we're just going to have a great season. You obviously have an acknowledgement of Brittany's situation with, with what more can can the league do at this point to try and help you know remedy the situation? Yeah, so there is not a day that goes by that I'm not working on this uh, in some way, talking with uh, a variety of folks at the U.S. government, her agent, her family, uh, others who you know are experts in this area who can help us uh, navigate a very complex and, quite frankly, like I said at our draft, unimaginable situation. So. Um, you saw the positive news on Monday about her case being transferred into the Speedhub group, which is the Special Presidential Envoy for Hostage Affairs. That is a positive sign uh, that, again, she'll get um, a lot of attention within that part of the State Department. And, um, you know, we're um, trying to do everything we can, every angle we can, um, talking with, I mean, I feel so blessed to have had the career before I came here because I have this huge network of people who can advise us. We've got this new investor group, you know, that's obviously once everybody wants to get Brittany home. And, and one thing I really appreciate is both the media and the fans and the players approach to listening to what the experts are telling us to do, when, what to say. Um, and it's really been helpful throughout this ordeal, um, but it's still unimaginable. And every day that she's there, we'll, we'll fight to the end here. And as you saw uh, with the logo on the court with the BG42, um, and that's the acknowledge you're trying to balance like. Want her back, we hope she's coming back. So, but we're trying to balance that with acknowledging her importance to this league as one of the, you know, I meet with a lot of, you know, executives and they always ask me about Brittany. And I said, well, do you know who Brittany is? Do you know how kind she is? Do you know that, like, she's one of the greatest basketball players in the history of this game? So, you know, this is an acknowledgement of her importance to the league, but not that we're ever giving up that we still want, you know, want her back. I want her back safe and as quickly as and then the heart and soul shoe drive, which I think is really cool also. I'm going to be doing some work around that over the next couple of weeks as all 12 teams are going to activate around something that is, I didn't know much about the story around what Brittany did, where she went out in the community in Phoenix and saw people without shoes on and then just started started this from kind of the grassroots. So it's pretty cool now that all 12 teams really are like, that's we want to do that. We want to activate around that, not just Phoenix. Uh, here tonight we have Syl visiting out to be here last season. Sue, hopefully not, but we'll see. <laughs> How do you sort of manage with this group of players that's reaching retirement and growing kind of the next generation of stars continuing to, to build their legacies in the same way? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think the average tenure in the league is six years or so, and look at Sylvie and Sue, who have far surpassed that. So I think there is a uh, changing of the guard already that's been happening over the last couple of years with some of these amazing rookies who have come into the, uh, 
into the league, Asia Wilson, I mean, amazing, Michaela Anyuede last year's rookie of the year, uh, and so many others, Kelsey Plum, so many other younger players. Uh, and obviously, we'd love Sue to play forever. We'd love Sylvia to play forever. Sylvia's made her announcement for in January also. Um, but, you know, I think it's healthy for the league to have uh, the next generation of stars emerging. Uh, and it makes our job as we're deploying this capital against marketing um, more ex exciting too, because we're like, okay, now we have all these new subjects to, to make sure that we're turning into household names and we're building these rivalries and we're investing in, in a broader set of players. So we're thrilled, um, but you know, we don't want them to retire, of course, because they've been such legends in this league. But um, I, I think the state of the league from that perspective is very strong that there's a great, great, young group of players that are emerging as the next generation stars. But, you know, of course we want, I always call Sue our Tom Brady. <laughs> you know, we want them to play forever, right? Because it's great for the game and she's a great role model and has been such a, um, you know, such a great representative of this league for so long. Just like the thought process behind the redistrib redistribution of the prize money for the Commissioner's Cup was what? Uh, last year, I believe the players got 30000 Yeah, but so it's a half a million dollar prize pool uh, for the Western Conference and Eastern Conference, uh, two best teams in Commissioner Cup play. Uh, and now that um, same same as last year, 30000 um, ish call it, because okay. it's a little more depending on how many people they have on their roster and things like that at the point in time during Commissioner Cup games, and, and then 10000 for the runner-up team, and then a $5,000 uh, Prize for the okay. uh, MVP, uh, for the MVP of the game. Okay. Yeah, so it's the same. What's different this year at Commissioner's Cup is who's going to host the game. So last year we picked the host ahead of time, Phoenix, and they weren't in it. So my observation was Phoenix did an amazing job getting an amazing crowd there, but you know what? They weren't necessarily fans of either team. So this year we've um, comprised every team you know has a chance to host that game, the best record in Commissioner Cup play. Um, then we have a couple tiebreakers in case there's ties. Um, we'll host the game, so I think it'll be very cool for that city that ends up hosting it. It'll be their team playing, so it'll give a little more of a home court advantage to that team, but also uh, it'll give, I think, a lot more um, you know fan engagement, which is what we're looking for in that championship. And um, we also, what's also different this year is our platform around um, uh, community involvement around uh, civic engagement and voting rights, very timely. This is something we work through with the players as part of their main pillar of the Social Justice Council this year. Uh, and so we wanted to do that last year, but because we couldn't have fans in the first half of the season, it's hard to activate something when you can't have fans. So we're doing significant donations during the first um, half of the season on Commissioner Cup play to both the teams that play in each of them. Tonight will be one of them. Um, so whoever wins this game will get a donation of 2000 and that'll just go throughout the season and then we'll give a big donation at the end to each team that's designated a uh, civic, civically engaged, socially engaged uh, organization and how smart the players in advance of the midterms and everything going on in this country. It's just, they continue to amaze me as we talk to them about a very player-led social justice council, but we facilitate it. Um, and last on Commissioner's Cup, um, let's see. Um, yeah, oh, is our new presenting sponsor this year, Coinbase. So uh, look forward to some activations on that. And um, this is what this is what the transformation is all about. It's about 
bringing in more companies to support and without this asset called Commissioner's Cup, we don't get that presenting sponsorship. So that, you know, that's a big, it's actually a big deal from a business perspective for us. And Coinbase has been a great partner so far. Around other leagues, usually with expansion, it's most often two teams that come in. Is that kind of realistically what you would envision when the time comes? And then do you have a goal like, hey, by 2030, we'd like to have 16 WNBA teams? Yeah, I don't have a specific goal. Um, I, I definitely would like to call it two at a time, but when you bring them in, so two would probably be the first step. But if you only brought one in, I think that would be fine. There have been points, apparently, that the league had an odd amount of teams, and you work through it in the scheduling. That would be fine, but we have to find the right owners, the right cities, the right arenas, the right fan base, the right um, commitment from the community. But uh, I think we're going to find it because I think the popularity of the game, I think our fan base is um, around the way. When you look at some of the data so far, there's some cities on there that have, you know, great um, numbers as far as our current fans, fans of the NCAA women's game, merchandise sales, um, you know, fans of other women's sports in those markets that might exist already. So it's actually pretty interesting that there's some real great cities out there that I think would be great. Um, we've got to find the ownership groups and we've got to find the arenas now. So. Got time for about one more. I mean, one last question for Coach. When you're on a tour like this, how much chance do you get to talk to the players and kind of learn about their concerns and feeling right? What's going wrong? Yeah, one thing I, I'm pretty sure the players know they can reach out to me at any time, and they do. Um, so they all have my number. And, you know, one of the things that's important to me is that I do be able to meet with them now on this 12-city tour, that this is number one for me. Um, I'm trying to get most of it done by the All-Star break. Is um, is challenging to talk to meet with the players one-on-one in small groups, so I to meet with some veterans here and there, um, because they are so focused on the game while I'm here. Uh, and I don't want to take away from that. They have shoot-arounds, they have media uh, responsibilities, they have the game, and you know, people always want me to go in the locker room after the game, and I'm like, you know, I, I, it's just not ideal. I was a former college Division One athlete in two sports, and that's not what I wanted in the locker room after the game, win or lose. Obviously, win, it's a little more palatable, <laughs> it's definitely not palatable. So I'll find the right moments, but having spent 92 days in the bubble with the players, so I did get to know a lot of them. I spent a lot of time with Sue in the bubble, for instance, and Megan. Uh, and so I'll find the right spots, but you know, I'd like to do a little more of that in the off season. Uh, and obviously because of COVID, we couldn't do as much of that, but now I'm double boosted, so <laughs> I feel more comfortable now. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll find the right opportunities. And in, in markets where I have more time, and I'm doing a couple uh, trips where I'll go in between two or three cities in the same trip, so I'll have a little more time than having to get back for different engagements in New York and other places. So, And I do have two kids, so <laughs> I do want to see them every once in a while. One more? Yeah. Uh, just just your thoughts on the uh, building and is there any um, you know, thoughts on this from Brown League to make sure that other teams have more stable sort of, you know, sort of building sites and when yeah. the games can be played and make sure that those, you know. Yeah, so we're, um, you know, uh, again, getting better at making sure we know the footprint of our season a couple of years out. We know, you know, where we're going to have our All-Star game. We know when the Olympics are. They got delayed that one year, so obviously in 2020 to 21, uh, where the FIFA World Cup sits. So. We're getting better at projecting out what a footprint looks like so that then you can start doing arena holds much more in advance. So that's been the challenges we haven't known, you know, certainly since I've been here, we haven't known what, what it looks like. So we're getting better at that, um, you know, giving teams in advance. 
and then I think teams are getting better at planning around the arena. But first of all, on this arena so far, what I've seen, I've only been here for about an hour. Um, it, it looks stupendous. I mean, you know, I was watching the Kraken during the year on TV. I didn't, I didn't come out, but I was like, yeah, this is gonna be really good. I can't wait. And I wasn't even with the league back when Key Bank, Key, Key Arena, Key Bank Key Arena, Arena. Um, was here. So I had never been to it, but I'm pretty impressed so far. I've been walking around and taking a little tour. So very impressed, but um, we do have some challenges around the league. Um, some of them are driven by like at, I still call it Staples by the way, at Crypto where you have the possibility that the Lakers and the Clippers could have been in the playoffs this year impacting the Sparks. Now they're not, but that would be complicated. But we also love the NBA arenas as well because I mean, Sparks, if you've been to it, you know, it's a great feel and vibe in that arena right by LA Live and just so much uh, vibrancy. So we do have some challenges, but I think our owners are, I've talked with them about the commitment to arena availability, arena dates practice facilities, everything that goes around the ecosystem, around the player experience, because you know I'm very player first. So we're working and it's not perfect yet, but we're working. I think when the Clippers move out to their new arena, you know, we'll have to, that'll, that'll help a little bit. Um, I'd say they're the, Sparks are the ones that are most challenged around that. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you everyone. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy the game tonight. Bye.